All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode. That's right, of the London is Blue podcast. Hopefully your favorite Chelsea podcast in all the land, anywhere where podcasts are available, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Brandon's doing a great job of making sure that they end up on there. Dan, one of your hosts here today. No Nick, no Brandon, aforementioned. But we are about to head into a massive summer of podcasts, and we are getting it started. Temperatures are rising Beach shorts are being acquired. Sunshades are going on because Chelsea's on a beach right now. And it's about the new manager. It's about new players. It's about incomings and outgoings. And who better to assist as we talk about scouting potential players that Chelsea might like to add in reinforcing one key area in midfield than our good friend Sam, CFC Central. So, Sam, are you ready for summer season? Hello, Dan. Okay, first of all, um, it is summer all year long where I am. You know, it's it's extremely hot. Yeah, it is. I mean, I live on basically like I live right next to the sea. So it's it's searingly hot. It's it's humid, unbearable. So I'm not really looking forward to the hottest months of the year. In fact, if Game of Thrones was shot in India and, and somebody said winter is coming, Um, you know, first season, everything would end. So I think like, you know, I'm in that horrible position where I'm sweating. I can't exist without an air conditioner. But uh, other than that, hoping and and wishing that this season finally ends and we have something, uh, a little bit of a break. I think we fans more than anybody else needs a preseason to to sort of recharge and come back next season, you know, trying to, to get all our support behind the team. So hoping that everybody else is is on the same pitch and fingers crossed that good things are in store. Yeah, look, it is about to be a very interesting summer, one where it feels like the margin for error is minimal and the amount of wins compared to L's the club wants to pick up is going to need to be heavily in favor of the dubs. But this episode is going to focus on some scouting that Sam has done in an area of key need with the midfield, so midfield mania. We've done episodes like this before where we've had a chance to take a look at some of those names that are being linked with Chelsea, not saying that any of them are confirmed to be coming to Chelsea or further down the line, just players that are frequently mentioned in conversation. So this is just the amuse-bouche for a larger player profile if at when any point some of these players or any of these players end up at Chelsea. But we want to thank everybody for supporting the show, leaving five-star views on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you've done that before, great opportunity to do it. You know, as you're getting ready for your summer vacation, your break away from Chelsea, five-star view is going to help us mentally break. And then you also can support the podcast through Patreon. That's a great way to help us too. But look, we're going to get right into talking about the state of Chelsea's midfield. And Sam, I want to set the stage, and I'm just going to run through who Chelsea have, you know, going in kind of chronological order of when the contract is expiring, and then get a snap reaction on just overall health. If you are Dr. Sam and you are giving an evaluation, what is the health of this position? And so we'll start with N'Golo Kante, 32 years old, contract expires in June. There's been conversation, even media coming out, that he would like to be a part of the project. We have Dennis Zakaria, who's currently on loan from Juventus. His contract expires at the end of the season. He would be likely going back to Juventus. We'll, we'll see how their situation is shaping up. Ruben Loftus-Cheek, his contract expires next summer, June 30th, 2024, currently 27 years old. Mateo Kovacic, 29. His contract, along with Mason Mount, 24, also expire in 2024. Connor Gallagher, Lewis Hall are the two individuals whose contracts expire in 2025. Connor Gallagher, 23, Lewis Hall, 18. Even though Lewis Hall is classified as a left back on transfer market, he is very much a center mid by design who's deputized when needed. Chuck Omeka at 19, his contract expires in 2028. And then rounding out our midfield, Enzo Fernandez, who June 30th, 2031, his contract with Chelsea expires because we broke the contract game at 22 years old. Enzo is the longest contracted player in Chelsea at the moment. And so, Dr. Sam, give us your evaluation. You've heard the list of, I guess, player symptoms that we have in terms of contracts, age, profile. 
where are we at? What's the health of the midfield? I think it's like opening someone up and realizing they only have one lung. Um, <laughs> it, <laughs> I think that's that's the diagnosis that I get with my expert medical opinion. But I think that's where we are at. I I tend to look at the starters that we have in midfield. N'Golo Kante has been, obviously, when he's extremely fit, when he's available, one of the best players in the world. Even when he came back from injury, he was spectacular for a long time. In a very, very bad team, he was arguably looking like one of the best players around. So, you know, except him, Mateo Kovacic has declined horribly. I, I think his performances have gone down. Uh, I do sympathize with the fact that he said, you know, after the World Cup, he was extremely drained and it's been a long, long season. He's effectively also had a lot of injury troubles, which may be related to the amount of games that he's played because he was also part of, you know, the tough runs that we've had in the past two years. So um, with the conditioning and, and with the fitness issues at the club, you know, I think there are deeper issues that have hampered him, but uh, in very brutal terms, his, perf- his performances just haven't been good enough. So apart from those two guys, and we lost Jorginho, um, but we haven't replaced him or any of the two starters who have declined. So and when I look at the other guys, a lot of young potential, but again, uh, Hall hasn't been given a chance. Chikumeka hasn't been given a chance. Mount has been injured for a while. So it does look like they're either missing, you know, one part of a very essential respiratory system completely. And while Enzo is just being, you know, pumping overtime to compensate for the rest, you know, he still hasn't had a rest. I think he started every single game. Um, not good. I think when I look at this, I feel like, we do require experience. We do require at least two starters to come in. Um, but we might not have the funds or the pulling power this summer to make it happen. It is going to be tricky. And as we take a look ahead to the tactics, so if we're under the assumption and we've not heard anything to the counter that Marisha Pochettino is Chelsea's next manager, we've done podcast about it but obviously has not been officially announced maybe something to happen at the end of the season once frank has finally been removed of his temporary position at the club but there's some thoughts that you put together here sam about just what do we want to think about in terms of the midfield construct where pochettino is going to likely use how does it operate And maybe do we have within our current crop the right type of players to build around for the way that he intends to or likely plays? I mean, I I, this I'm going by the assumption that I have everything that I'm basing on right now is just stuff that I've seen him execute at Tottenham and at PSG. Now, he's been out of management for a year. A lot of times people take sabbaticals and come back completely refreshed with new ideas. He's been speaking. At a lot of conferences, um, he's spoken, you know, at, at Sky Sports and I think with the High Performance Podcast as well. Some very interesting ideas on what he could do when he comes back. And so this is just purely on what he's done. You know, he's he's genuinely just tried to to stick with the four two three one mostly. He's also fluctuated with a three four two one, with a four three three, and other systems, but. The 4-2-3-1 is essentially, I would say, the progenitor of what he tries to execute. From there, in midfield, when you've got a double pivot in the engine room, there is balance. There is usually one midfielder who's tasked with taking progression duties, somebody who's either carrying it between lines and connecting midfield to the attacking midfield and the attack, or he's just, you know, passing it and then progressing it to one of the attacking midfielders who drops in to collect in spaces and then gets the attack underway. And the other midfielder is somebody who functions almost as a halfback. You know, he's got a dual responsibility of slotting into the back four and and making a back three, so becoming that extra centre-back, while also being somebody who's providing cover in transition, offering some kind of shielding, also sometimes you know, contributing to counter presses, winning the ball back high. So there has been a little bit of a distinction in the profiles that he tends to have. I've rarely seen both of them being ball winners. Like he's played Eric Dyer and and he's played uh, Dele Alli in a double pivot. So you've got one guy who's effectively a centre-back who played at right-back, 
um, specializes in in interceptions, tackles, playing there. And then Deli Ali, obviously, who was a midfielder who was great at carrying the ball, arriving late. So that kind of balance has been, you know, very visible through his team selections, not just at Spurs, but uh, also at PSG. So he had Dyer and Wanyama as halfbacks uh, at Spurs, and then Harry Winks, somebody who could pass the ball through, you know, playing almost like a register kind of role. And then you had Dembele, who I would say was was world-class under Pochettino. And uh, Musa Sissoko, who was <clears throat> bought as cover because Dembele had a lot of injury issues. So all of these three guys are either good at carrying the ball or just moving it forward. Uh, then at PSG, he had uh, Ander Herrera and uh, Danilo. He also had uh, Idrissa Gay, uh, who performed that halfback duty where they were able to be defensive midfielders, but also slotting back as the third centre-back and providing some extra defence. So they had that. And then Verratti was uh, arguably one of the best at receiving in the first phase, progressing the ball with carries and then with passing. And you had Paredes and Wijnaldum. So there is a distinction. He generally likes that dichotomy in midfield. And when I look at our profiles, we do have we do have variety in that sense. When I look at Enzo Fernandez, somebody who is extremely progressive. I mean, he is top of the Premier League for for progressive passes. So he does have that to work with. But what we are missing is the other side. Somebody who is able to offer the defensive side. I think that ball winning specialist has been missing after Kante's decline um, and Matic leaving. So I think that's been a huge hole that we haven't been able to fill. And that's, I think, something that the club hierarchy and Pochettino both will be targeting to make sure that the midfield unit looks strong before we go into next season. All right. So plenty to consider about setting up for next season in terms of the type of midfielders that Risa Pochettino is going to want and how that balances with our current crop of players. There's also a lot of assumptions that we could currently make about the players who may or may not be here next season. Again, if we go through the list, N'Golo Conte has publicly expressed an interest in wanting to be here. Whether or not the contract gets renewed, that would be something that we would keep an eye out for in the very, very near future. Zakaria unlikely to to remain here. Ruben Loftus-Cheek is an individual who has been rumored to be a target for AC Milan, would represent a profit on the books, but you're likely spending more or potentially having to promote someone to keep his place. Maybe someone like Lewis Hall, who's a little uh, less developed in terms of his professional footballing career, but would give you some of that flexibility. Kovacic is another one who likely doesn't seem wanting to renew, has had performances on the downturn, and maybe someone who is looking for a new opportunity. And then we do have a massive question around Mason Mount in terms of what happens to him with a lot of signs at the moment suggesting that it is going to be extremely difficult to walk back to a scenario where he is at Chelsea next season. And so I think with all that said, it's likely that you keep N'Golo Conte, Connor Gallagher, Lewis Hall, Chuck Wameka, and Enzo and still probably need to reinforce two individuals into this position, Sam, if especially you maybe consider that one of these individuals like Chakwameka or Hall potentially goes on loan to secure more minutes than they were able to obtain this season? I would agree so, definitely. I think what we do have is an overload of the box-to-box slash eight kind of profiles. I think we have them in spades. When you look at Kani Chakwameka, uh, when you look at Mason Mount, for example, he's arguably not going to play in a midfield too. He hasn't done that. Even Tuchel used him further forward, you know, in the 3-4-2-1. He was not part of the double uh, midfield engine room. He was more sort of in, in the advanced role. So I think that's where maybe Pochettino also sees him in the 4-2-3-1 as somebody in, in the number 10 role or maybe on the right-hand side, like Christian Eriksen played, trying to sort of disrupt play from, from the wide positions by drifting in inside. So I think that's where he sees it. So when I look at the profiles in the squad with Andre Santos out on loan, all these guys are more of the progressive kinds. I expect Chukumeka to be somebody who's extremely good at carrying the ball, very strong in terms of a very Kepren Thuram kind of player, somebody who's able to offer 
what Enzo can't, you know, through passing. Enzo is not a very good carrier, but when I look at Chukomeka, very, very good. Uh, Santos, also somebody who offers that, uh, also offers other things, but predominantly a very good carrier as well. So we've got a lot of progressive guys. It's just the defensively strong, elite, ball-winning ball winning caliber of, of central midfielders that we lack. And I think, ideally, if I had the money to spend, I would go and buy two of those. But um, most probably with the prices involved in buying these players, I think only one of them will come through the door. All right, well, we're going to get into those names that you put together, and I don't think there's going to be a lot of shock about the individuals we're talking about. But stay tuned. We'll be right back after this break from our sponsors, and we'll get into all of those names. Are you missing out on your favorite shows because it's not available in your region? Trying to keep your private time private? Well, let me introduce you to NordVPN. If you're bored of the U.S. Netflix, why not just take it for a spin in the U.K.? Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can do just that. No need to travel to Japan for your favorite anime when NordVPN brings it right to you. With 5,000 plus servers, no show is out of your reach. Using my link, nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue. You can receive a huge discount on a two-year plan with one month free. We all love to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's literally no risk to you with their 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue a refund, and you can pretend the entire situation never happened check it out my link nordvpn.com forward slash london is blue to get your subscription started today all right so we're gonna go through four players and we talked about them before sam individuals that would add an element of just any strength into our midfield in terms of turning it back into the type that can be the basis on which Chelsea work to get back into European competition next season, work to go deep in cup runs and potentially play an upset role in in winning one, and even get back into a top four convention very quickly with with a rebound season that we all want to desperately see. So the names are Declan Rice, Moises Caicedo, Manuel Ugarte, and Romeo Lavia. So those are the four names we're going to go through. And I think we want to start with Declan Rice. And at this time, has been rumored or connected to basically every major club in need of a midfielder because of the qualities. And whether or not people do or don't want him at the club is not necessarily the conversation we're having here today. We're talking about the skill sets and why he would be a valuable addition if he were to come to Chelsea. So I leave it to you to help make the case and maybe change some opinions, some minds about why Declan Rice would be a great signing for Chelsea. No, I think if I had to pick one, I had to pick like the number one signing, I think Declan Rice would be somebody who I would immediately pull out as the ideal, you know, ball winning central midfielder that you could find. It's obviously for multiple reasons. Um, but I just want to start with how difficult this role is, you know, under Pochettino. You've basically got to have a, a central midfielder who's comfortable as a defensive midfielder has some kind of competency in, in centre-back positions, defending and building out from the back. But also, like for example, having some defensive competency while defending out wide. So if you've got experience as, as a, a full-back or a wide midfielder, also great. Because that's everything that this, this central midfielder has to do in, in defensive transitions. You've also got to have somebody who's, you know, offering some kind of progressive support to Enzo Fernandez in our team. You can't just rely on one outlet to to constantly progress play. I mean, to Enzo's credit, he's been doing it phenomenally well, but we still have to see what happens when a team actively tries to shut him down. You know, they've tried, but he's done very well, but there will be games that he, he will be quiet. So you want somebody to offer some level of progressive support, uh, defensively elite, in Pochettino's side, also somebody who can help in the counter press. So somebody who can move quickly into the attacking third, win the ball back, 
but also very good at defending transition. So it's a multi-purpose role. And then when I look at Declan Rice, you know, he he ticks almost every single box, and he's done that over a four to five season um, sample size, which is an extremely good, healthy sample size to have. So when I look at him, I see somebody obviously who played as a center back at academy level. Um, he's played as a DM recently for West Ham. He's also played as an eight. Uh, he's played in a two-man system. He's played in a three-man system, comfortable slotting in at center back. He's also slotted in as, as you know, the wide center back and, and help push uh, the left back forward. Aaron Cresswell was pushing forward when he was slotting in at left center back. And just his way of playing, I think when I look at the level of intelligence and aptitude that this guy has when he's reading play, when he's telegraphing opposition moves, so good. You know, he's just so switched on to any danger that arises. He's almost can't like in the way that he understands where to position himself and, and when to push up and, and when to stay back. So, um you know, a lot of numbers also sort of reflect that. I mean, in, in the past three uh, of the last four seasons, he's been top 10 in interceptions in the Premier League. He's first in the Premier League this season, was sixth the season before, and, and in 1920, he was third. So, um, consistently very good. He's also a two-footed tackler, able to tackle with either foot, um, usually stays on his feet, and uh, he's got a very good reach. You know, he's got a very lanky sort of limbs to help him get to balls and stretch without going down. And he's got these lovely nuances which, which he uses in tackling. So he's got a nice hook tackle where he's able to steal the ball by hooking his foot around the player and from the other side. If he's standing on the left of the player, he's able to hook the ball on the right foot of the opposition player. And he's able to also deceive sometimes when he's tackling. So he uses his standing foot, like the planting foot to almost trick the player to think into like he's going to tackle with one foot and then he uses the other foot to win the ball back. So he is clever. He's developed his, his techniques to win the ball back. He's also doing it at a consistently good level. Um, you know, I've also noticed that this time, like, you know, West Ham haven't done well as a team. So he's obviously been under the cosh quite a lot. But even in in a potentially relegation sort of side, for predominantly most of the season. He's been the standout player. He's somebody who stood out in big games against Liverpool, for example, just stood his ground and, and dictated what his team should do. You know, somebody who doesn't hide when it's a high-pressure situation. Those are the kind of players that we've been lacking. You know, it's not just what he's doing on the field with his contributions on the ball, but it's just the influence that he's exerting. And obviously people will be rolling their eyes saying, you know, that's not quantifiable and, you know, that's just poetry at work. But genuinely, I think it speaks a lot about his his influence, his leadership skills, his his ability to, to hold anchor uh, essentially in the middle of the field that West Ham have sort of survived the drop. I think without him, they would have gone down 100%. In my eyes, they would have definitely gone down. So if you've got a player of that defensive aptitude, somebody who's, you know, top five, top 10 for recoveries and ground duels in every single season in the past six seasons, um, endlessly able to recover and recycle possession. <clears throat> He's also got the experience of playing in a, in a variety of systems. He's also played with more progressive central midfielders. When you look at, you know, he's played with Suchek, who isn't really the best defensive partner to have. Somebody who constantly pushes up into the opposition box to try to get at the end of headers. And he's also played with Bellingham, who makes those box-to-box -box runs, tries to be the guy who's winning the ball up high. He's been the selfless guy who's just stood back and allowed those players to do their thing while he's shielding the defense. He's making sure that he's able to anticipate and win the ball back either by staying back or going ahead. So when you're looking at somebody who can do both, who has performed a role to a very high level over an extremely large sample size, I cannot see beyond Declan Rice. Ridiculously consistent, um, hardly ever injured. He's got a lot of minutes in his legs. I think in the 1920 season, he played every minute of every game in the Premier League. Um, and, and, and he's done that Whenever he's been available, he's, he's played. So 
His influence is non-questionable. His skills, his asset, um, the reason why Bayern Munich, the reason why Arsenal, the reason why every single side, like you mentioned, wants a reliable central midfielder is looking at him, speaks volumes. So I think he would definitely be my number one. Yeah, when you take a look at the matches played to starts, essentially since 19... Um, at, in the 2018-2019 season, 38 matches played, 37 starts, 40 matches played, 40 matches started, 35-35, 50-48, and has effectively played 224 matches starting, 243 in total, and 20,404 minutes in total. And that's across all competitions, uh, you know, when uh, West Ham have obviously had uh, some some level of competition outside of the domestic ones. And so, yeah, and definitely. And 24 is so. I know. <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> absolutely wild. It is going to be a real challenge for Chelsea to offer a similar level of cachet at the moment. I think that is going to be the big challenge. We don't have Champions League football next year. Maybe the wage structure is a little bit different within the way that the bonuses are working now with you know a requirement for Champions League or for qualification to play a part in the incentive structure. So definitely feels as if we want Declan Rice, you are going to have to have an extremely impressive package and it feels like you're operating from a deficit. So if we take out Declan and maybe move to Moises Caicedo, if Chelsea are not able to get Declan a player, I think you and I and many others feel would be a really great addition. Moises Caicedo was a name that we saw in January when Chelsea were going after Enzo Fernandez, a eye-wateringly shocking uh, price it's like biting into like a sour sweet was quoted he went up in value exponentially in the way that only brighton can do and i think fans at that point were like we, we don't want another brighton player we, we've been burned a little too much by brighton over the past six and a half seven months we want to get out of that business we don't necessarily want moises caicedo but I do think, and I think you'll make the case here, Sam, that it is hard to deny how good and how quickly he has come into being one of the elite midfielders in the Premier League. I'm going to be very honest, Dan. I mean, initially when I saw him play like up until I think the beginning of last season and then you know, maybe the first couple of games when Ben Porter was in charge when I was watching him. I was like, he's a good player, but he's nowhere, you know, close to the price that's being quoted for him. Arguably just Brighton being Brighton and, and you know, trying to flip him for a very good price. But the more I've watched him over the course of the season, the more it's becoming apparent that this guy is is staggeringly good. I mean, he has the potential to be an all-round midfield general, I would say. he's He's only 21 and he's also improving at a very good rate under the Zerbi, the kind of things that he's pulling off i mean last couple of games he's he's played as a right back um he's also sort of functioning as a first phase guy able to receive under pressure you know releases it has that sense of that pausa that sense of when to release it when to hold it looks completely unfazed when he's in those situations and then he's also able to offer, you know, his primary strength, which is just the ability to be a, a pure ball-winning destroyer in, in midfield. I think he's he's got that sense of, I think, almost a Kante kind of, um, I would say that aura of being a box-to-box influence, somebody who's able to offer a very large-spanning influence um, he's also a big fan of, of N'Golo Kante, apparently. He idolizes him, but no surprise in the way that they, they play. He's somebody who's, I think, extremely good in terms of the defensive side of the game. But it's also the way that he's improving other aspects that make me think that he's going to be, you know, probably worth the price that's being quoted. I don't think any player is worth 90, 95 million. I think we've got now a good sample size of players 
that have been bought for 9500 and those that, that have gone to be a you know complete and unfettered success but i think if you have to go for an elite midfielder then then Tekken Rice and Kaiseido would probably be the two that you would want to bet good money on yeah very very interesting in the way that maybe opinions of him have changed particularly as Brighton under Deserby have really become a different force altogether particularly as they push in the last part of the Premier League season here to maintain in the uh, their spot in the top 6 so that they can you know make sure that uh Europe is not with you know not in question uh Aston Villa right behind them but currently 3 points adrift from them Brighton do have a game in hand though they're only at 36 played on time of recording in May 23rd so definitely you know again i think a similar situation there are other large clubs that are rumored to be interested in Moises Caicedo whether that's in addition to going after someone like Declan Rice or as their primary target. And so again, it is going to be challenging for Chelsea to pull off a deal, though we have found seemingly a way to work with Brighton and give them the necessary compensation. (laughs) And we've learned that if you kind of pay what Brighton are asking for, you can get a deal done with them. And so maybe this is something where West Ham have notoriously been extremely difficult for Chelsea to negotiate with. If you're facing the option of getting Declan Rice or getting Moises Caicedo, you know that negotiating with West Ham is more difficult than with Brighton. Maybe Moises Caicedo, just for that nature, becomes the player that you make the investment in. So that that could be some of the additional considerations that come into play, Sam. Absolutely. And I think it's it's a rare profile. You know, I've been scouring for the next central midfielder that we've probably going to try and recruit into our ranks. And it became increasingly clear that the kind of midfielders that we've been trying to get, you know, I think that just does not cut it anymore. You want somebody who's obviously physically extremely uh, well-suited to a executing the kind of multi-purpose duties that we talked about, especially in, in Pochettino's system, but also somebody who's extremely quick of mind, you know, and then quick with with their ground speed. I think a lot of central midfielders, especially the defensive kinds that we've seen, tend to lack a little bit of their explosiveness. We've, we've seen, obviously, Jorginho firsthand. Uh, somebody who is obviously trying to defend by keeping the ball and making sure that the dis- distances were short and you didn't have to defend in in wide open spaces, which in many games we weren't able to offer him. And he wasn't able to offer the kind of defensive new that we needed in in um, large spaces. So I think moving away from that and coming to, say, Moises Caicedo, who's so quick, you know, when, when Brighton do lose the ball, the amount of distance he covers in half a second i think that's something that's that's been actively sort of engaging my brain i'm like this is something that i need to look at you know somebody who's able to offer counter pressing recoveries somebody who's able to track back at at extreme speed keep up with the fastest you know premier league quality wingers and in wide threats when you look at kaiseiro he's he's somebody who's able to offer that almost like a kante does you don't see kante getting you know, dribble past in his prime. <clears throat> you don't see him getting out-muscled or, or outwitted. And, and Caicedo is pretty much the, the same thing. You know, he looks like he understands the attacker's intentions well. He's equally good at not just going to the threat, but waiting for the threat to come to you. And, and I think when you're up against somebody like a Caicedo, who's extremely quick, very smart, able to keep enough distance to know that if you're trying to dribble past him, he's going to catch up. There is no way you're outrunning him. Then you cause all sorts of problems. And you tend to do the one thing that kills transitions the most. You tend to delay it and you tend to slow it down. And then when you have enough bodies at the back, there's a smaller chance that you get hurt on transition. So he's somebody who's doing that as well as, you know, Declan Rice. They both have almost identical numbers in terms of quality and quantity for ground duels. Both of them, I would say, are decent in the air. Um, Caicedo is, like, both of them compete, like, for one aerial dueler a game, but have around 64% of on the success. But where I see Caicedo being different is that when the ball is 
uncontested in the air. Rice tries to go for the ball while Kaiser tries to go for the man. You will often see him absolutely rugby tackle whoever is in front of him, try to physically jar them, throw their balance off, and then contest for the loose ball usually when it's close to ground. So somebody who engages the man well, very physical, it's it's a reason why he's earned up so many cards. He's got sixty one. Uh, he's got sixty one fouls and he's also got nine yellows. But that ratio is pretty healthy compared to um, say somebody like Emmanuel Ugarte, who we will talk about. The fact that he's able to foul often and like he's almost earning one yellow card. Sorry, one yellow card to seven fouls, which is I think a pretty pretty good number. So he's able to disrupt play. He's able to do it intelligently. Able to do it smartly. And and that's the kind of player who makes a difference when when the game is you know in its most volatile component in its most chaotic game state. So that's what makes Kaiseido, I think, a very valuable entity. When I'm looking at him, the speed at which he functions, the speed at which his brain functions, the way he's able to execute actions, he's also able to provide like Rice. You know, people were talking about Rice saying he's not good in terms of on the ball stuff. He's not able to execute. Um, good stuff in a possession side, but he's been, you know, top two in progressive passes and progressive carries. Uh, sorry, top ten in progressive passes and progressive carries over the last two seasons. He was able to offer both, and Kaiser was able to do that as well. He's very good when carrying the ball, uh, has enough strength to to avoid contact, to sort of get away with it, absorb it altogether. So he's offering those components as well. He has a very good pass percentage rate in the opposition uh, half as well. So technically secure. He's, he's everything that you need in terms of fundamentals from a good, proactive, defensive-minded central midfielder. So I think when that amount of money is being asked for him, I can understand why because the, there are not many who can offer what he's offering in the Premier League. And I think if you've got to pay for the best, then you've got to stump out the cash and and that's where we find ourselves in unfortunately yeah it is uh, not going to be a cheap summer maybe not spending as much dollar for dollar or pound for pound but the individuals that we should be going after are going to be a little pricier because you are trying to pay for the best individuals in that position to catapult Chelsea back to where they belong. But we're going to take our last ad break. When we come back, we are going to talk about Manuel Ugarte and then Romeo Lavia as the two other individuals that Sam has so graciously scouted for us. But we'll be right back. Bet you didn't see this coming. Hope you're ready to hear editor Jake's voice for a while in the ads. <laughs> this time we're coming with Shady Rays. Kick off the new year with new gear built to last. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered from the sun to the slopes with premium polarized shades, customizable snow goggles, and more. Shady Rays is a world-class sunglasses company, independently built, that'll have you thinking you're wearing some of the world's top brands that you already know with durable frames and extremely clear optics. Not only clear optics, but clear ethics as well, having donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with Feeding America. Something that we have done at London's Blue Podcast. So, and if you're worried you won't like your pair, they will exchange it, they'll give you a new pair, or you can return them for free within 30 days. And if you're worried you might break them, Thanks to Lost and Broken Replacements, you can get a replacement pair, no questions asked, anytime. Exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out the best deal of the new year. Go to ShadyRays.com and use code LONDONISBLUE, all one word, all caps, for 50% off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. That's right, LONDONISBLUE, all caps, spelled just like the podcast, you know, the podcast you're listening to right now, you can see it in the title. All caps, one word, 50% off, two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try it out for yourself. The Shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. All right, Sam. So I think you willed him into being on Chelsea's summer transfer list or in consideration being scouted, reports of scouts being in Portugal for Chelsea to evaluate the player. Manuel Ugarte, who currently plays for Sporting, just we've talked about him before. Make the case again, though. Give people the rundown of why he would be a very smart and shrewd signing from the Chelsea Brass. I'm actually very, very happy for this one because I think it is 
sort of like minor validation to my own fragile sort of self confidence that hey you're not bad huh? i mean you're just you're finding a decent player and thinking and and sort of looking at their potential a year year and a half before they start making it into good time and i remember watching him initially and i was like he is flawed he does have a lot of things to do to improve and to get to a level where he's considered in in the top conversations for a for a defensive minded cm but his numbers back then were popping out his application his almost one track approach to being a wrecking ball was was pretty impressive to see you know and then what struck me was even with the amount of mistakes he was making didn't care just got back up and and kept absolutely hammer and tongs just just kept on going trying to win the ball back trying to make things happen and in a possession dominant side i mean most defensive midfielders most midfielders performing that duty tend to be a little standoffish tend to be a little more um you know wise with their positioning and then what was very unique about him was that he almost played like he wanted to offer a wise grip to the opposition every single time suffocating pressure almost you know making sure that he's killing transitions at the root so not a surprise to see him come from that to to here i mean he's joao palinha who is um playing over him has now sort of moved to fulham and he's got now a full season under his belt as as a key starter and it's been great to see his progression somebody who's now had the confidence to become not just a backup player which is why sporting got him in the first place but somebody who's now got enough belief in him to say you know i i am going to do my job well i've seen him now for about like a good 10 15 games this season and and he's fantastic his numbers explain what he's all about i mean he's arguably europe's most tenacious ball winner in terms of quantity um just very good in recoveries in his ground duels i think he competes in almost two two and a half ground duels more than Caicedo and Rice is about 7.5 duels um per 90 minutes and he's winning somewhere around the same amount 58 to 59%. So even with that volatile nature of going for almost every single challenge he's still you know maintaining that win percentage and he's is brutally effective uh when doing it and um again somebody who reminds me a lot more of Kanté than a Matić somebody who's extremely geared into winning the ball on the front foot you want him to have that level of impetus to go out there and and pick his moments to pick his position and and absolutely destroy things before this snowball into something big and um, it, it's it's something that separates him from Caicedo and Rice which is why i would say Ugarte is probably one ring under uh, the top 2 because he's yet to learn the most subtle nuances of defending i don't think he's somebody who likes playing on the back foot he's not somebody who has the patience to wait for the attacker to make a move which is why sometimes when you see him come up against the cleverer breed of of attackers i saw him against kiesa when he was playing against juventus and there was a moment where he delayed a little bit and then he hesitated and kiesa left him on the floor you know and then those are the moments where i think that he can at the age of 22 i think he can improve and he can program himself to be a little more cautious because again like i said oh he is a physical specimen he is extremely quick he is very strong he is also ex- like in terms of recovery pace you see him make a tackle and the way he springs back up the speed at which he is able to recover is astounding at times so he is able to almost like kante perform two defensive actions in the space of a couple of seconds which is excellent so i think he needs to trust those abilities more i think he will get there 100% uh, it's just that maybe it will take a season season and a half before he beds into the pace of the premier league he's done extremely well in the champions league in the in the europa league against arsenal and juventus but to play against that level of competition day in day out i think will be a good learning curve for him so again he's somebody who's available for almost 40 50 million less than rice and caicedo but he's also i would say a ring under both of them he still has to learn 
those nuances of defending. I would say in possession, he can be better. There have been times where he's been caught with his back to, to the goal when he's been receiving. Um, when he's dribbling, he tends to be very one track. Again, somebody who charges forward, tries to break through lines, sometimes loses the ball. So those things need to be refined a little bit, need to be tweaked a little bit. But again, the ingredients, the basic things that I want for a fantastic recipe are all there. So I would say Ugarte, you know, when I'm looking at that, again, very, very good to watch. I would say for for 52 million pounds, if you're getting that level of defensive midfielder in, in a starting position, I would be pretty happy. I think Pochettino would be able to nurture him into a better player and turn him into from a 50 million to 100 million player. So hopefully that's if we miss out on the top two guys, then I, I would say this is the third third guy that I would uh, I would go you know after. He again has has some issues with with discipline. He fouls a lot. He goes to ground very very you know often. Does a lot of sliding tackles and and goes in hard. He's got eleven yellow cards um, in thirty one games in the league, and he's also missed out on some key fixtures because of suspensions. And and he he can't afford to do that in a big club. You know you can't go into a Champions League quarterfinal or whatever, you know, on a yellow card every single leg. I mean, he missed, I think, the round of 16 and then he missed the quarterfinals against Juventus and against Arsenal. So, both first legs he missed because of suspension. So, he needs to be a little more cautious of that. He needs to be, um, he needs to tone it down a bit. I would say not be that rash. The aggression is good, but maybe just tone that foul tendency down a bit. A couple of notches, but... Otherwise, I think he's he's a fabulous player to watch. Again, a ball-winning specialist, not the kind of midfielder who can offer you a little bit of everything like Mateo Kovacic. Uh, somebody who specializes in winning the ball back and killing transitions. So I think that's exactly what Enzo Fernandez needs. Will he fit into Pochettino's system is a different question. I think he might not be as good a fit um, as the other guys that we've noted but still a very, very good option for that price. And like you said, someone who at the price that he offers is someone, particularly with a release clause, that it would be a quicker type of deal to get across the line. So if Chelsea are thinking about moving swiftly and attacking the window once Michelle Pochettino gets announced and is at Chelsea, that this would allow them to potentially move quickly on midfield, likely of two individuals they would want to sign and then focus on the other positions of need. We've heard rumors of striker and goalkeeper as the two other top areas. And so, yes, Chelsea can do multiple things at the same time, but getting an item checked off the list also lets you plan for some of those outgoings as well. As we round out this episode, we get to last but not least, you have the Southampton midfielder in Lavia who has just watched his team go down back to the championship but it does feel like there is going to be not necessarily a stampede but there are going to be several clubs interested in the player heading into the window and we know that Chelsea do have uh, former Man City, former Southampton individual in Joe Shields, who may or may not be interested to bring him to a third club or bring him to a second club, rather, um, from the time that he spent across those two getting a chance to keep an eye on Lavia. So uh, we'll see if Chelsea's rule of uh, every director gets one seems to come to fruition. But this is an individual who seemingly some members of the technical team are are high on him as a less of a ready-made but more of a growth opportunity for the midfield position i mean if every director gets one player from the previous clubs can we get holland i mean he's yes Manchester there you City. go love it <laughs> i mean i think that, that's a player that we should target or it's, it's, I, I would holland, be... it's too easy it's, it's too easy <laughs> to keep on doing it with city you gotta go play the premier league in hard mode with chelsea you don't know who your manager is going <laughs> to be in three weeks you don't know which players are going to be contributing at a high level it is the absolute mystery box that you would be walking into and you could see is the number nine curse actually real you would get a chance to Ward that off yourself. <laughs> Wouldn't that be the best way to conquer football? Erling Holland, let's go. 
I wouldn't mind the other Argentinian as well. I mean, Alvarez is there. So, I mean, if you've got an Argentinian manager and you've got a, a number sure. nine who obviously will be a little frustrated that his strike partner is, you know, breaking scoring records and, and doesn't want to stop. His strike then, partner is the Terminator. Team. Like, it's like you're Sarah Connor <laughs> and this is Arnold, okay? Like, there's not really a comparison for, like, their level of output. And so, yeah, look, if if uh, Alvarez wants to come, he would be another individual that I would happily welcome. Absolutely. And I think uh, Joe Shields, if he's listening to this podcast, I think uh, should move from Southampton to Manchester City when focusing his thoughts on players we should bring. Um, but like jokes apart, I think Lavia has shown some glimpses of pure quality in, in obviously the Premier League's bottom side. It's not been easy, but uh, you could see, I mean, even at the age of 18, he was when he started the season, he's now 19. A um, lot of good things. Again, at his age, the things that you want to work with, with in a midfielder, I think he he has it in spades. It's why Manchester City are reportedly very keen on on getting that buyback clause and then sort of like using it to get him back for 40 million. And Calvin Phillips hasn't worked out very well. So I think there is an interesting opening there in case he wants to go back. But obviously, they've also got Mac, Maximo, Maximilian, Maximo Perone uh, from um, the Argentinian League this time to sort of uh, fill in that, that midfield gap. So I think he might be an interesting option. Um, which might prevent the move for Lavia. But um, yeah, there are a lot of things to dissect here. He's probably the one that I've watched the least out of out of the other guys. But um, the, the stuff that I watched of him, it seems like his strongest qualities seem to be on the ball. Like he's extremely good when, when weaving out of pressure when he's the, the amount of calmness and composure at his age that he has on the ball is extremely good to see he's he knows exactly how to carry it out he has this lovely sort of almost winger-esque education of how to shift the opposition player's center of gravity with you know shoulder feint or just shuffling his feet across and then moving in the other direction does it so well i think his take on success percentage must be pretty good um but I think on the ball, when he's carrying it out, when he's dribbling, when he's linking play, he's he's extremely good. He's also somebody like a lot of defensive-minded central midfielders aren't. Like I think he's very good in the first phase when when you use him as somebody who's receiving with back to goal and able to connect the dots in in the first phase and build up. I think he's very very good. He he can get even better. The fact that he can carry and he can pass under pressure is is a very valuable trait to have. Almost like a Verratti, I would say, short bursts and able to connect the ball and sort of move. So I think he's he's got those in-possession qualities that are stand out for me. Uh, he's also very good in offensive duels when he, he's sort of taking the initiative and he's reacting well after ball losses. When he's going into challenges, he's strong. He's also physically very competent in terms of his duels, especially his ground duels. He's he's doing very well. I think same numbers as Caicedo and um, and Rice and Ugarte, somewhere around 58, 59%. So obviously in a in a pretty bad side, you know, he's got a lot of chaos going on around him where he had to defend a lot of transitions, but still managing good numbers, good quality, good quantity, and um, seems to make good decisions for his age. Um, it's just that when I look at stuff out of possession is when it can get a little dicey. He can be positionally naive. I've seen him get in sort of caught in no man's land very often and he's just stranded and he's either not engaging nor is he staying back and, and closing spaces. He's just in the middle and then he has to run back. Um, he's also not a very domineering presence in terms of in a possession side, if you need that central midfielder to be able to win the ball back and recycle possession and, and stop transitions, he's not somebody who I see can offer the full range of what you want from um, that central presence. Obviously, Pep, for example, has completely flipped it by now going with five centre-backs. So he's got John Stones and Rotary in the middle. So two centre-backs, like obviously... Rodri has played center back of Spain, but a six feet, four and a half inches guy and, and John Stones winning the ball back for you negates a lot of that. But 
if you had to play somebody like a Romeo Lavia in the middle, um, close to the opponent's goal to try and win the ball back, uh, it's it's a bit of a question mark for me. Uh, he can get better, but the fact that he's pretty poor in the air, numbers-wise, quality-wise, and quantity-wise, is a bit concerning. He's not like Ugarte, where he's not jumping because he doesn't want to jump. It's like he jumps, but he's not good. He's not got that level of competitiveness in the air. So that's something that I worry about. I feel like he, it's still too early to say that he's a defensive midfielder or a defensive-minded midfielder. I think he profiles closer to a Kovacic for me than an N'Golo Kante. So I'm I'm not sure Lavia is the right guy. You know, he's he's not somebody that we need. The only thing I would say he has over the other three guys is that he's played predominantly in a three-man midfield at the base of midfield. So he looks like he can play as the number six. Uh, and he has had some very good performances in that role. So he's done that. He's also played in a two next to James Ward-Prowse. So he's played both systems. Um, so gives Pochettino the option of going 4-3-3 with a guy who's very good in the first phase. Um, able to offer good possession qualities and decent when he's in offensive duels. So if you consider his age and the fact that he's played for a very, very bad side in Southampton, then there is obviously a lot to work with, especially again at his price. When you look at Ugarte's price, when you look at Lavia's price, it's just dependent on what Pochettino sees and, and how much he thinks he can improve the player. And there have been some interesting stories, anecdotes about that happening in the past. Um, so in again, Balag's book, The Brave New World, he talks about how Pochettino and Ramon Planes were at Espanyol and they were trying to hunt for a forward because a lot of their players were injured in the forward position, so they didn't have a striker. And uh, Pochettino just asked, I think Ramon Planes asked Pochettino, what about that? You know, Argentinian-Italian striker who we saw at a tournament like a year and a half, two years ago when you were in Argentina. What about him? And Pochettino was like, yeah, that guy was really good. You know, we should get him. And they signed the player. And when they signed Osvaldo, Pablo Dani Osvaldo, they realized he was completely out of shape. He was lacking confidence. He was physically absolutely shortened. He didn't have anything... Uh, in terms of the qualities that they had seen a couple of years before. And Pochettino and Planes sort of like shared a look saying, you know, we are absolutely screwed. I think we blew money on on a has-been. But they started training him and they made him run his butt off. And Oswaldo was the guy who said that, you know, he makes you train like a dog and, and you want to kill him, but um, it works. And he ended up scoring quite a lot at Espanol. I think he had like a goal every two games or something. And then he joined um, Pochettino at Southampton where things went a little bad. But I think that's just testament to the fact that if Pochettino sees a player, a young player, and sees that he can improve him, then Pochettino does it. So depending on if we don't get Rice or Caicedo, if either of these two players is, is where Pochettino sees he can improve one, to a very good level, I think he should be given the chance to do so. Or just give him, um, you know, the chance to look at somebody like an Ethan Ampadu or even convert somebody like a Trev Chaloba who's played in midfield to, to slot into that role. Something that we're seeing now at Manchester City, you know, using centre-backs to play in central midfield. If you've got two guys who've played in that role, then why go for a 50 million midfielder when you can look inside and and try to make that conversion happen? Great points all around. And look, there are going to be more names that get connected to Chelsea in the midfield position, uh, particularly as names come off the board, as players leave the club. And we're going to keep you posted on anything that's been going on and anything that does go on at Chelsea across the summer. But we want to thank you, Sam, for so much initial research to get us started, to put us on that beach and have us thinking about the good things that could come Chelsea's way next season when we think about incoming players to partner up to Enzo to be a part of Chelsea's midfield revival under Mauricio Pochettino. But yeah, thank you so much, and uh, make sure to get a little bit of rest and sunshine before we get on to our next episodes looking at other 
positions of need. Oh, thank you so much. I think I'm getting a little too much sunshine. I mean, absolutely um, being toasted to a medium well or uh, well done here. But, you know, hopefully you get some nice sun, uh, get to enjoy yourself after a long, harsh winter. And yes, lots of calls to do. I think we will be talking a lot more about center forwards, arguably even goalkeepers, um, and a couple of interesting episodes that we have lined up, hopefully, uh, in the coming few days. But as always, Dan, an absolute pleasure. And thank you for having me. And hope everyone listening in is having a good one. Yeah, we hope that everybody is staying safe and well when they can. But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep a blue flag flying high.